whatever she may have with anyone who may be in need. Indeed, our guest, though somewhat rustic in his mannerisms, accepted the invitation very cordially. As the evening progressed, our conversation continued concerning the book he offered. You said your brother found some gold plates that he translated. Yes, sir. And this book is a copy of the translation? Yes, sir. What language was written on the plates? The book says the language was Reformed Egyptian. Completely taken aback by this ridiculous answer, I followed up curiously, Is your brother a university scholar? No, his days in school have been very few. Then how did he translate such a difficult language? It was done through the gift and power of God. His direct answers astonished me. In truth, they had the stamp of the simple awareness of a backwoodsman. You surprise me, Mr. Smith. Are you not aware that such spiritual gifts are not given in these latter days? Why, only last Sunday, the local minister related how such gifts had been taken away with the death of the apostles in the meridian of time. If the minister has said this, I do not believe him. I know the things that I tell you are true. There are few who believe what I say. Five times today I have been turned out of doors. My nights have been spent under God's heaven with only the shelter of a tree. Several days ago an innkeeper threw me out of his inn. I did nothing more than I have done here tonight. Told him of the Book of Mormon but he shall throw no more out. As I left his place, I was led, as the scriptures direct, to wash my feet in a small brook as a testimony against him. A traveler brought the smallpox to his inn, and he and two of his family have died with the disease. What a strange story. What am I supposed to believe? A peculiar thought struck me. Surely I am not to understand that if I don't give him a bed or buy and read his book, I will be struck down by some strange malady. Does an unknown Indian deity plague his footsteps, hover over him? He continued with enthusiasm. Perhaps you are acquainted with John P. Green of Bloomington, the Methodist preacher. He has agreed to take a subscription paper for the book, and if he finds anyone on his route who is disposed to purchase, he will take their names. We talked further, but I shall not relate all. Such a nonsensical fable I have rarely heard. Above all, how could these ancient red men learn reformed Egyptian? Smith proclaimed that the book gives additional testimony that Jesus is the Christ. What could bloodthirsty Indians relate of value for an intelligent Christian who regularly studies the Holy Word? In order to avoid uncomfortable silence as we ate, I struggled for a question to keep the conversation going. Without much thought or anticipation of what it might lead to, I suggested, Has your brother Joseph had other spiritual experiences before being directed by this angel? I was totally amazed. At what followed, he responded. He has been one to study the Bible seriously for a long time. Some years ago, as he studied, he came across a passage of Scripture in the book of James, which says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He thought that if anyone lacked wisdom, he did. His great concern was which of all the churches was right. Even though they all claimed to worship God, they were constantly fighting against each other regarding different doctrines, as each tried to add to its following of worshippers. With this in mind, he went alone to the woods to ask God which church was right. As he was kneeling at the very beginning of his prayer, he was attacked by an unknown power which threw him down and tried to destroy him until he feared he would lose his life. His tongue was bound that he could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around him, and it seemed that he was doomed to utter destruction. But after he had exerted all his power to call upon God to deliver him, a pillar of light, brighter than the sun, began to descend upon him. He was freed from the enemy which held him bound. 
In the light appeared two glorious personages standing above him in the air. They were surrounded by a brilliant light which eclipsed the sun at noonday. One spoke to him, calling him by name, and then saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. It took a little while to gain possession of himself, but as he did so he thought of his purpose in praying, and asked the personages who stood above him in the light which of all the sects was right, and which one he should join. He was answered that all the religious denominations were believing in incorrect doctrines, and none of them was acknowledged by God as his church and kingdom. He was also told that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, their professors were corrupt. They drew near to the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. They taught for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God. He was told to join none of the churches, but was promised that the fullness of the gospel should at some future time be made known to him. Then the two personages ascended, and the light departed. I was wondering, was this a dream? What a vivid imagination this Joseph must have! I said, this is a most unusual story, Mr. Smith. Who does your brother think these personages were? He says they were God the Eternal Father, and his Son, Jesus Christ. You probably remember from the Bible that a similar introduction was made of the Savior at the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, and also on the Mount of Transfiguration as heard by Peter, James, and John. I had to admit that as far as I could recall his citations appeared to be accurate. The pattern seemed to be similar to those other occasions, but this claimed appearance of the Father and the Son was out of harmony with most teachings I had heard. The suggestion that these two members of the Godhead were personages, had physical bodies, was certainly most unusual. Do you mean to say that God has a body, is a personage, like us? Joseph said that both appeared as personages. You recall that man in the beginning was made in the image of God. If man is in the image of God, then God must be in the image of man. His logic seemed to be simple enough, in fact, far too simple. Through my mind ran the doctrine of the Trinity of the Godhead, as declared in the creeds accepted by most Christian churches today. In that doctrine it is clear that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are declared to be one God. This certainly does not allow for a mixture of physical personages. Smith continued, You recall that God the Father spoke as an individual both times when he introduced Jesus. I could see that Smith was prepared with some isolated scriptures, suggesting that there were individuals in the Godhead. Without pursuing that argument further, I then turned to the attack on the creeds. How can your brother, Joseph, say that the creeds are an abomination? The creeds contain the basic beliefs of practically every Christian denomination. What is possibly abominable about them? All I know is what Joseph told me. But when you think about it, the creeds give a strange perception of the characteristics of God. My mind was reeling with this new attack on the Trinity. For example, one of the creeds says that God is without body, parts, or passions. How can that be true? Jesus, the Son of God, appeared to the apostles after his resurrection. They assumed that he was a spirit. He showed his body to them and ate with them. He said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have." Joseph says the personages talked to him. How can one talk without a body? Wouldn't it be an abomination to declare they have none? From another scripture we learn that God the Father loved the world and sent his only begotten Son, Jesus, into the world. 
It is clear that he loved the world. Wouldn't it be abominable to say he has no passions, no love? The creeds mislead the people of the world to lack of understanding of the characteristics of God, where such understanding is the basis of faith in God. God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ are living, loving beings. Wouldn't it be abominable to declare otherwise? I could not believe that with a few isolated scriptures, the great and almost endless discussion, plus the reasoning and counseling that went on prior to the preparation of the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, or others, were given no consideration at all by Smith. The simple meaning as given by him is that God, according to the creeds, without body, parts, and passions, is therefore nothing. This, he suggests, is obviously abominable. And then I wonder why God would select someone so untrained and unlearned in the religions and the philosophies of the world to declare such doctrine. I could have responded with many sound lines of reasoning that have ages of careful thought behind them. Surely the religious leaders of the world with the libraries of doctrinal discourses cannot be cast aside as dross. And I wonder further, how can this new religion with such doctrines ever survive? I asked one more question. When did this vision, this appearance of the Father and the Son, happen? Smith answered, A little over ten years ago. What month? What date? I don't know the exact date, nor does my brother recall. This is such an important fact. Can you say no more than that? What time of year did he go among the trees? We are farmers. It was in the time of planting in the spring of 1820. Again, I could hardly believe this lack of detail. It made me question even more the truth of the rest of his story that is contrary to all the fundamental doctrines of Christendom. And have your mother and father accepted this story? Before he could answer my mother, inserted, a mother knows when her son is telling the truth. And as for dates, does a farm boy remember events by a calendar? I was somewhat annoyed that mother was...